Global Crisis Bible Prophecy Health and Preparedness You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch Father in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity to open your word and understand truth. And we do pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts, would guide our hearts, and draw us to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host today for another session in the prophecy series that we're going through piece by piece. Today we're going to take on the topic of the millennium. In Revelation 20. But before I get into that, we were on the topic previously in a previous session on the state of the dead and of the resurrection. What happens when you die? What happens between death and the resurrection? And we saw that the dead are asleep. The Bible uses that word over and over and over again, that the dead are asleep in the grave and that the dead know nothing, and that they do not praise God or thank God or hope or think or anything, they are unconscious while dead for a temporary period. Then they come out of the grave, which to them is just the very very next conscious thought. And as we developed an understanding of this Bible truth from the Bible alone, not from any traditions that have been established in Western civilization that have misconstrued our understandings of Bible truth. Now, we, when we go only to the Bible, you do find some pretty surprising things because it's amazing how few people these days are actually studying the Word of God. But as we were looking at that, there's some passages that people say, well, what about that thief on the cross? And so we looked at that. And what about, well, the rich man and Lazarus parable? And so we looked at that. And I wanted to give a website one more time on this topic, truthaboutdeath.com, where you can study much more deeply into that. And as we're thinking about the state of the dead, I wanted to bring up once again that thief on the cross because the scripture actually is very clear that the thief on the cross did die on Friday. It says in the book of John that they brought the the people over. The Jews asked that the uh, bodies on the cross would not be left over the Sabbath, and they would break the legs of the criminals, and they looked and found Jesus was already dead. So Jesus died in a extraordinarily short period of time because, folks, Jesus died not from the wounds of the cross, but from the sin and the sense of guilt and the penalty and punishment of sin that laid upon his heart and this immense emotional, psychological, spiritual pain that he was under actually crushed the life right out of Jesus on the cross. What an incredible truth. What an amazing Lord we have that he would undergo that experience so that we could be saved. But that thief on the cross, Jesus said, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. And that's an important statement for him to make because he says that to all of us because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs the gospel of Jesus Christ and needs his substitutionary death on the cross in order that we might be saved. And then we can be with Jesus in paradise. 
Now, of course, Jesus did not promise the thief that he would be in paradise with him on that very day because Jesus said in John 20 that he had not yet been to heaven two days later after this. Sunday, he was raised from the dead. And he says to Mary, I have not yet been to the Father. So if he said that on Sunday, then there is no way he was in paradise on Friday with the thief. He said to the thief, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. He did not tell the thief, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. No, that comma, which is not a part of the inspiration of Scripture, that is a human addition. All punctuation is a human addition to the original languages which had no punctuation in them. And so the human being that translates that, they put the comma before the word today because they happened to have a viewpoint on this that they figured the thief went to heaven with Jesus that very day, but Jesus says he didn't. So we have to put the comma in harmony with what Jesus said in John 20, that Jesus hadn't yet been to the Father, and so he wasn't with the thief in paradise on Friday. He didn't go to heaven until later. Today's message on the millennium, we're going to begin in, in Revelation 20. John saw in Revelation 20 an incredible scene. He saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the bottomless pit with a great chain in his hand. Now remember that Revelation is a symbolic book. What is this bottomless pit about? What is this great chain about? It says he laid hold on the dragon. Now Satan is not a dragon. He is a fallen angel. But it says he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So what we've read here is there is a period of time coming where Satan will be in what's called a bottomless pit, and he will be bound for a thousand years, and it says he will be bound in the sense that he cannot deceive anyone. He will not be able to deceive the nations. Now, what you may know this already, but if you haven't heard this, folks, this is an alarming and important biblical fact. When Jesus comes again, he comes in glory the second time. The first time he came as a baby in the manger. The second time he's coming in power and great glory, the Bible says. Let's read in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, what this looks like when Jesus comes the second time. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. So the works of this earth, everything of this earth is going to be burned up when Jesus comes. Now, of course, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the air. So that's good news for the Christian. We're not going to be burned up. But everything but the redeemed, everything but the saints, will be melting with fervent heat and burned up in this earth. Well, that helps me understand a little bit more what Revelation 20 is talking about. Revelation 20 says that there's going to be a time where the devil is in this, quote, bottomless pit. 
Now our literal minds imagine God digging a hole in the ground, placing Satan in a pit that has no bottom. I don't know how that would work on a round earth. But either way, this bottomless pit figure is a sign, a symbol in Revelation that's pointing us back to another scripture that will help you understand the nature of this bottomless pit. The word for bottomless pit there in the Greek is abusos. Abusos is the very same word used in Genesis 1 to describe this world before God created it. Yes, you heard that right. In Genesis 1, when it says, the earth was formless and void, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis 1 reads, and the earth was an abusos, an abyss, a bottomless pit of wasteland nothingness, Whatever you want to call it in the English, it's the same word. The earth was formless and void. And in Revelation 20, after Jesus comes again and the earth is burned up, the, the, the surface of the earth, that is, and the, earth, the works of the earth become melting with fervent heat, once again, the earth will be returning to its pre-creation state. An abusos, an abyss, a formless and void wasteland of nothingness. And so how is Satan bound then? Well, there's nobody alive here on this earth anymore. The saints have been taken up. The wicked have been destroyed. And Satan now is sitting here on this earth thinking about what he has done. He's wondering, boy, is this, you know, this hasn't gone the way that I planned. Maybe Satan has an opportunity to repent. Well, he's had many opportunities to repent, and he doesn't repent, and we're going to see about that in a minute. But something wonderful is, is written in John 5, verse 28. It says that there are actually two resurrections. It says, The dead shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So there's two resurrections, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. So when you read in Revelation 20 about the, quote, first resurrection, well, that's the one I want to be a part of. It says, blessed are those who blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That would be the resurrection of the righteous unto life. That's Revelation 20, verse 6. But it says in Revelation 20, verse 5, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So did you catch the chronology there? Let's review. Jesus comes on the clouds of heaven. The righteous are taken up into heaven. The resurrection of life. A thousand year time period then passes with the saints, us, in heaven, Satan on this earth, not with nobody to deceive, bound by the chains of circumstance, and the wicked all dead. And it says there's going to be the rest of the dead coming to life at the end of the thousand years. This is the resurrection to damnation that we're going to talk about next time. Two resurrections in the Bible. It says, the dead in Christ will rise first. 
That would be the first resurrection. Now, the wonderful promise of Jesus, no matter what we're struggling with or what we're going through in our difficult and painful and toilsome days with heartbreak, with financial stress, with busyness, with addiction, with loss, with divorce, whatever it is that life is throwing our way, cling to this from Jesus as the promise of where we're going to be spending a thousand years with him. John 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. And what is the consolation? What is the comfort? What is the encouragement that he gives to us when he says, Let not your heart be troubled? Troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Where is Jesus? He's up in heaven. He's coming back. He's going to take us up to be with him. That is the hope of my life that I live day in and day out. Is it your hope too? We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. The three biggest events in the history of redemption. One, the Exodus experience. Two, the first coming of Christ. And three, the soon second coming of Christ. Well, what do all three of these have in common? Pharaoh, throw all the baby boys in the Nile. Herod, kill the babies in and around Bethlehem. Well, what about today as we anticipate the second coming? The attack is on once again, not only through the annihilation of 50 million aborted babies, but the media and the schools are targeting our kids. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of This is 11th Hour Dispatch. The website is 11thHourDispatch.com. That's 1-1-T-H and the word hour, H-O-U-R, Dispatch.com. Going through one of the most interesting prophecies in all of the book of Revelation, because this prophecy about the millennium, about the 1,000 years where we will be up in heaven with Christ, says he's coming to take us to be with him. The millennium is not on this earth. We're up in heaven. He's taking us up into the air, the Bible says over and over again. But what about the lost? Well, we saw that the elements melt with fervent heat, and the earth and all the works thereof are burned up in Second Peter 3. Revelation 6 pictures a very vivid, a very alarming 
story of what it looks like when Jesus returns. You know, for, for those who believe in him and who have waited for him, they say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. But the wicked, in Revelation 6, it says in verse 14, heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So when Jesus comes, it's not a joyful event for them. They are running and hiding. Now, God is not coming with a axe to grind to try to hurt people. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? That's God's attitude toward the wicked. He says, I don't want you to die. Turn from your wicked ways before it is too late. It's almost as if the same message that Noah gave is going out today. Noah said, there is a sure coming flood. Turn from your wicked ways, repent and get upon the ark. Here today, we will have the same thing as it was in the days of Noah. So it shall be at the coming of the son of man. The majority were lost at the flood. The majority, it says every man who is of this and that status and every rich and mighty man and every free and bond man are all running away from the Lamb. And a small group of people are welcoming him and coming up into the air to meet him. It says in the book of Revelation that the whole world wondered after the beast. We've got a large group of deceived and lost people that we've got to reach out to with the gospel the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is it like on this earth during the 1,000 years? Well, we already read in Revelation, it's an abusos. It's an, it's a, a, a formless and void state. It's vividly described in Jeremiah 4. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. And the heavens had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful, fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. For thus hath the Lord said, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. I'm so glad for that end part of this passage because this is a this is a frightful scene. When Christ returns and the elements melt with fervent heat and the earth is laid waste and there is no man alive on the earth, only Satan and presumably his evil angels with him, just in this uh, torturous state to them, being bound by the chains of circumstance, not being able to deceive for a thousand years, they're out of business. That's their full-time job. Also in Jeremiah 25, you read a similar description. And these descriptions of Jeremiah can only describe the millennium, the time where there will be no man and everything waste 
formless void, verse 33, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Remember, God says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But folks, this is a life or death issue. When you study the prophecies and you study the soon coming of Jesus, it confronts us with a choice. If we are those who come to the Lamb of God now, then we will not run from the Lamb of God later. If we are those who do not heed the call, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, then we will run from the lamb later and we will be the slain of the Lord on this earth. I'm not going to be in that group by God's grace. And it doesn't take some sort of theological genius or some sort of moral, you know, upstanding person who can control their own self. No, what it takes is the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive me for my sins, to reveal the simple and plain truths of the Bible, and to give me his Holy Spirit that he might in me give me victory over sin. That's what it takes. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Not my, my mind, not my strength, not by might, nor by, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, if we've erred, if we've wandered, we have the picture of the prodigal son story to remind us that we can return unto him. He's not looking to punish and hurt. He's not looking to torment and torture. He's looking to save. Open arms. The character of a loving father so vividly portrayed in that description of the prodigal son story. This son had told his father, I want nothing to do with you. I want my inheritance now. I'm leaving. And the father gave him it and he went his way and he didn't see his son for some time. He was waiting and waiting and waiting, wanting to see his son. And when he saw his son coming back, his son had his prepared apology speech. But before he gets a word out, the father already is oriented toward him in an attitude of forgiveness. The son didn't have to pay the penance. The son didn't have to grovel. The son didn't have to get his act together before his father's heart was forgiving toward him. That's the kind of affirmation and love and forgiveness I need from my father in heaven. For all the many times that I slip and fail and fall and disappoint him. We can be in that number that go up into heaven and spend a thousand years there. Simply by turning to him with repentance of heart, confessing our sins and saying, I love you more than I love myself and this world and my own agenda and my own pleasures. So here you have in Revelation the resurrection of the righteous taking place and then a thousand years later the resurrection of the wicked. What takes place in a thousand years in heaven? Yes, we're enjoying the streets of gold. We're enjoying the reuniting with our loved ones. We're enjoying the the blessed moments with Jesus. But there's also a work to be done. It says in Revelation 20 verse 4 that we're doing something particular in heaven it says that I saw thrones John saw thrones in heaven and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them 
So that would be us in heaven. We're actually, judgment is given unto the saints. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, of course, God is the judge. He's just inviting us to have a, uh, an understanding and a participation in it, not, into, not to make any decisions or determinations. That's up to him only. But he allows us to assess and understand and discern why those who are lost are lost and why those who are saved are saved. We can see that they place their faith in Jesus Christ. We can see that the lost neglected opportunities to be saved. Maybe when we're up in heaven, we'll have some questions about who's there and who's not. Why, why didn't people make it here that I thought would make it? Why, didn't, why, why are there people here that I didn't think would be here? We're going to judge angels. We're going to see how the, the war that began in heaven thousands of years ago, as recorded in Revelation 12, this great controversy between Christ and Satan, this rebellion that started in heaven as recorded in Isaiah 14, we're going to understand these fallen angels and what they've done to lead so many astray. It says in Revelation 20 that there were thrones and judgment was given unto us in heaven. That's an amazing thing. You know, I've thought about this. God doesn't want iniquity to arise a second time. He doesn't want sin to arise a second time. So he's not going to destroy evil until everybody is 100% certain that evil is really evil and that we would never want to do it again and that God is absolutely just and that we would always place our trust and obedience in him. And so that's why he wants our buy-in. That's why he invites us into the judging process, not because we have something to contribute. No, he wants us to to be fully convinced. So the final moments are recorded in this climactic, these climactic events. The resurrection to damnation takes place, the, the second resurrection, where you're not blessed and holy if you take part in that one. This is the resurrection unto the second death. It's described in Revelation 21. We'll talk about that next time. But also in Revelation 21, It says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the heavenly city comes down. The the wicked now are raised, and Satan goes forth. In verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And because he now has people to deceive again, it says in verse 8, He shall go out to deceive the nations. This is the wicked have come out of their graves now. And it says... that they will gather them together to battle. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, Satan, and all of the fallen sinful mortals who have ever lived. He's deceived them all. They're about to play, stage an attack upon the city of God, which has come down out of heaven. This is one of the most climactic moments in the entire Bible. You have all human beings who have ever lived in one place. The righteous are in the city. The wicked are outside of the city with Satan. The righteous are in the city with Christ. And there's a transparent wall. The city wall is transparent, and you can see outside. Now, Satan doesn't get very far in this attack. It says, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. After that millennium, these climactic events will take place. And finally, the wicked and Satan and his deceiving angels will be destroyed. And God will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
and he will say to those on his right, Come receive the reward, the inheritance, and the city of God, and God will create a new earth, no more tears, no more night. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Excessive internet use, video gaming, and pornography are the reason that our young men are really falling by the wayside today and losing what it means to be a man. It's, it's not like a normal addiction. A normal addiction, you want more of the substance that you're addicted to. An alcoholic needs more alcohol. A cigarette smoker needs more nicotine. But a gaming addict, a user of games and pornography, needs something new and different and exciting, something novel. They are seeking things that we're supposed to be getting in the real world. They are seeking them in the game, going through a storyline. And really, in our real existence, in reality, there is a great story that we are a part of, isn't there? What we're doing is we get into this counterfeit story in the game. We know that there's a story, but we get diverted onto a false one. And it's just another distraction from the one true story. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.